Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Have you ever considered, especially during this time of economic chaos and uncertainty, that you would like to be in a position where you have strength and financial control and a bunker to weather the economic crisis at hand and also to think about really how to not only preserve your wealth but still be able to move forward at the same time. That's what we're going to be talking about today and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall. This is my co-host Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Morning, Rachel. Uh, I think the challenge for you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the challenge for you and I today is to do what we uh, believe is correct, and, and that is try to educate without um, without fear mongering along yes. the way. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, is very difficult in this situation because when you're trying to help, a lot of times that's when you're actually um, you're laying out the truth, and sometimes the truth is fearful to people. Um, as long as you have the pureness in your heart, which I hope we do, then what we're what I think comes through is we're trying to share facts with people and that's what we're going to try to do to our best of our ability today. Yes. And I think the other thing that I just want to share with you, especially if you're listening right now is that we're all going through this economic, I mean, unprecedented time together. And we certainly are wanting to be able to share our experience and be able to be in a position of helping and serving you. And I truly feel that it would be a disservice if we just stepped off the scene and said, well, there's too much going on right now, we're not going to be able to serve people. I mean, really, we need to be able to be in a position of reaching out and providing that life preserver, providing that rope, that hope, that certainty, that security as much as possible. I think it's so much more needed now than ever. And so we're going to just share from our hearts today. We're going to be talking about really what is the problem going on and then how can we really find a solution? How can we find a respite or a, um, a strength and certainty in the midst of the storm? I mean, we certainly cannot control the larger economic factors all around us, but what we can do is be in a position of the maximum strength and certainty. And how do you do that? So Bruce, let's go ahead. And um, first, I just want to ask you, if you're listening, before we jump into this, if you're in a position where you don't want to lose money, you want to anchor your financial position. I mean, think about if you're climbing a mountain and you're on your way to building some wealth, whether that means for you uh, building cash flowing assets, whether it means having a certain dollar amount of net worth, whatever building wealth means to you. If you're on this journey towards a mountaintop or towards that destination, what we want to be able to do during this time is really be able to stake that anchor and like a belay anchor and not slip backwards as we are building wealth and creating wealth. And I think so many times we can think, well, if we're not moving forward, then we're not doing anything. But really what we want to do is at this time, make sure that we stake our position and not slip backwards. So today we're going to talk about protecting and preserving your wealth so you can create wealth regardless of the economic situation, the global economic turmoil around you. So that's what we're going to be talking about moving forward. But more importantly than moving forward right now is just preserving our position, not slipping backwards. So Bruce, let's talk first. 
about what actually is going on in the economic world and how can we think about the events of our time in a healthy way? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's difficult to put things in context when you're just talking about, <clears throat> when you're just talking about the economic world, which in the United States, we think it's a free market um, or capitalist type of, of situation, but I think that line's been blurred a long time ago, so we're going to probably have to bring in a little bit of, of government uh, policy here. But U.S. retail sales plummeted 8.7% in March. And um, this, is, this is a record, that, um, um, record drop uh, as the viral outbreak closed down thousands of stores and shoppers stayed home. Now, this is what I'm talking about. Did the virus actually close down all these shops? Um, in, a, in, in an indirect sense, yes, but government interaction actually is what closed down these shops. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was because of the virus, and they were, they were saying this is for the greater good, but that greater good, and this isn't a conspiracy theory or anything, but what is the greater good? You know, uh, some people that I'm close to say, when I start talking like this, it seems like I'm, I don't have a heart. You know, it's like, well, aren't you trying to save people's lives? Uh, there's always unintended consequences. And I'm not just talking about economic unintended consequences. I'm also talking about other life unintended consequences. So yes, maybe we save some lives over here, but because of the stress involved, uh, we actually uh, lose some lives over here. And then, and honestly, Bruce, I mean, I even hear this specifically with regards to children who are on the autism spectrum and whose parents are really, really struggling. And just especially because those children need some semblance of routines and certainty, and they thrive on being able to have that social interaction. And I can't speak from experience on that, but I just have so much compassion and um, just love in my heart for parents who are struggling through just these completely crazy times with children who are not thriving or who are going through depression right now because of the lack of stability in their personal life. Correct. And then, and then we're not even talking about the immediate. We're talking about lingering effects of this mm-hmm. uh, down the road, whether that is um, um, additional way that you live your life in fear, which causes additional stress, wh- whether it's the stress that uh, happened here because you lost your job and then you actually got into a different job that's actually in a lower economic job, which, which causes you uh, additional stress along the way. So there could be long-term effects. Mm-hmm. Let's, con- let's continue with these numbers. So like auto sales dropped 25.6%. Now, that's interesting. That, that seems like it's terrible, but we might also realize that we are in a consumption-based economy. And Mm -hmm. people out there listening might say, well, of course we are. We have to consume to keep the economy going. Well, that is what we've been trained to think. And it's just like consume, consume, consume. Uh, But obviously, uh, if it dropped 25.6%, then people don't need to buy cars um, because they're getting by with the cars they already have. And and I think our listeners know, I used to own a car, an automobile uh, repair shop. And, mm-hmm. and I know the psyche of people when it comes to their cars. It's, it's interesting. You know, you could tell somebody, okay, this is to repair your car. It's going to be $800. Mm-hmm. 
and the person says, well, that's not worth it. I'm just going to go buy a new car. And all of a sudden they buy a new car. They inherit, <laughs> they inherit a, 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 a nice big monthly payment of three or $400. Plus they have taxes on the car, which, um, at, um, at uh, 8% on a $10,000 car is $800. What, what it would have been to repair the car to begin with. And so and it I, wasn't the 800 wasn't worth it. It wasn't, it was that the 800 wasn't worth it for that, exactly. that stigma and that uh, reputation that that particular car was giving you. Right. Well, yeah, that are sometimes people just get to the point where they say, I deserve it. I've worked mm -hmm. hard. I deserve this for them without, without looking at the long-term consequences. So, um, and then uh, finally though, um, online sales, the, here's the good part. Uh, I'm sorry, one more uh, ba uh, uh, bad numbers. While clothing stores sales collapsed by 50.5%. So there's another example of consumption. You know, people purchasing a large amount of clothing just to purchase large amounts of clothing. And then- and Bruce, since we're live right now, I'm going to ask a question and I would love if you are listening right now to share just how this economic crisis has impacted you personally, whether you are um, in a position where you've lost income or whether you are spending less, whether you're saving more, whether you are, what your outlook is for the future. And I don't know if maybe that's too broad of a question, but I would love to hear how these numbers that Bruce is sharing maybe have impacted you personally. And then the, 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 the couple of good numbers are, are uh, grocery store sales have actually jumped 26% which is a, a, a tremendously large number. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, people are actually cooking at home more because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people say, oh, they're just stocking up. Yes, I, there is some stocking up um, uh, incidences where people are, are over um, consuming just to stock up, but also restaurant sales are way down. I couldn't find the actual restaurant sales numbers. But obviously, mm. uh, anecdotally, we know restaurant sales are way down. Absolutely. And then the other uh, online sales are up 3.1%, which I would have thought they would have been up a little bit more than that. But I do know from my own experience is that uh, these online shipping um, is actually having difficulty right now because they can't keep up with demand. Much it's slower. much slower. Much Amazon slower. orders, even for what I would consider consider essential items, things like vitamins and shoes for the kids. I mean, that I've personally ordered have taken much extra time to arrive, probably two, three times as long as you normally would expect. Right. And so these are the uh, numbers that um, are, are happening. Uh, the main one is that uh, U.S. rate retail sales plunged by 8.7 percent, which which is a record. Um, now the big the big argument amongst amongst um, economists and and I'm not necessarily thinking economists are uh, geniuses and everything because uh, as our good friend Bob Murphy who's an economist has told me uh, um, on more than one occasion is that economists are really good at telling you what happened after it happened uh, they're not really good at telling you what's going to happen. Uh, many of them think they are, but Bob himself, and, and for our listeners know who Bob Murphy is, um, Bob is actually an economist, an Austrian economist, who has testified in front of Congress on several occasions. So he does have a great reputation amongst U.S. economists. Uh, he admits all the time that um, there are too many factors. 
there are too many factors, including government intervention, that affects uh, making predictions going forward. And I say this all the time with my people that I work with, my clients. Um, you know, we, we cannot factor in, and I use um, some economic, global economic things. I often use uh, the dictator of North Korea. You know, if he decides he wants to shoot a missile at South Korea one day, it has nothing to do with whether Procter & Gamble had a good year here in the United States. Everybody is going to overreact and sell their Procter & Gamble and the stock is going to go down even though Procter & Gamble may not even sell to South Korea. It's just, these are economic factors um, that globally you can't take into consideration. Well, the virus is another one mm -hmm. that, taken in, that we could not have predicted. It can't, uh, people keep saying, oh, I told you so, I told you so. Well, we've also had heard people say, well, I, I told you that we were going to have a recession eight years ago, and we, had, we didn't have a recession for eight years. Why? Because once again, government interaction can change what an economic model prediction can be. And that is, I think, the most frustrating and fearful things for most uh, people in, in every society, not just in the United States. You know, Bruce, I think if we kind of boil all of that down, I feel that the thing that's probably most frustrating for most people right now is the lack of control. I mean, we don't, not only do we not have all the pick, all of the details to be able to understand the situation fully, we feel like we're not in a position of control. We can't just say, well, let's just go back to work. We don't have the capacity to make that decision, even legally, in a lot of places right now. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to figure out not only how do we protect our family, how do we move through this in a position of maintaining our our liberty, our sense of control, and being able to move forward and and have stability in our financial life. And I, let me tell you a story about a time that I, as a child, almost died in a tornado and what this relates to our current economic situation and what it taught me as a result. So I was about 10 years old. We had just moved to the farm where my parents had bought 125 acres out in Minnesota. And part of this was wooded. We also had pasture land. We had a bunch of animals on the property and we loved to run around in the woods as kids. And it was, it was a wonderful place. And so we, with our sense of adventure, wanted to camp out and not go too far away from the house. So we camped out about 10 feet or so from the front door <laughs> in the, in the backyard and um, at the time, there was four of us, but one of my siblings was away at a friend's house. And so that night, the three of us camped out in the tent, and we were in a situation where I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm the oldest of my siblings, and the front of the tent was lifting off the ground. Now, we had not even thought to stake the tent down just because this was, you know, we're just camping out. This is right in front of the front door. We're just throwing up the tent, putting our sleeping bags in, and it was supposed to be a fun evening. Well, I'm, again, about 10 years old, the oldest of my siblings, and I'm thinking, I don't know what is causing this, but I've never been in a tent where the front of the tent is lifting up, like, off the ground. And I said, I need to take care of my sister and brother. I, this is not safe for us to be in here. I don't know what's going on. And at first, I thought it was dreaming, but then when I realized it was real, I said, I need to wake them up, and we need to go inside. So we ran the 10 feet or so to the front door and ran inside, woke up my parents, told them that there was something going on outside. And for all I remember at that point, we went back to sleep in our own beds. 
and we woke up the next morning and there were trees down everywhere. I mean, there was like six giant trees across our garage that had smashed the garage roof in. We had one large tree, and this is where I say that we almost died, one giant tree that had fallen at just a specific angle where if it had fallen maybe 30 degrees to a different direction in our front yard. It was this giant, huge, huge, huge pine tree that was super tall, super heavy, and super big around. It would have fallen and smashed the tent uh, where we were sleeping. And I say all of that because when I went through that terrifying tornado in Minnesota, there was trees down everywhere all through our whole property. And when I look back at that, I think I want to be safe. I want to be stable and secure. I want to know that I'm not only I'm safe, but the people around me that I love are safe too. And that property damage isn't going to happen. And, and I just remember that feeling of wanting to make sure people and myself were safe and protected. And, you know, we can almost feel the same going through the economic turmoil with the stock market up and down and maybe it's recovering. Maybe we're heading into a crash. Who knows exactly what's going to happen with the stock market. We're talking about all of the economic factors and the sales that are down in all these different categories right now. We look at unemployment skyrocketing right now. I mean, it's just, we're in a time that is extremely tumultuous and a lot of unknowns. And at the same time, we want that ability to protect ourselves and our family and be in a position of safety. And so thinking back to what happened when I was a kid makes me realize that I want a bunker or a place of safety for myself and my family. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to live underground. That doesn't mean I'm never going to come out. That doesn't mean I'm going to live in fear every day. But what it does mean is that I want to be aware that I know storms will come. And we need to be, I want to be in a position of being as safe as possible from that storm so that I'm going to be safe. And so when we, when we think about this in our financial life, I mean, Bruce, if I had to articulate what the problem is today, I would say that it's, it's all of these factors outside of ourselves that we can't control that seem like they're chaotic and uncertain and really messy and trying to figure out how do I live my own financial life and make sure this boat that I'm in personally doesn't capsize. I mean, I don't know if there's a, if you have a different perspective on that, but I feel like that's the main problem that most people are facing right now. Yeah. And, and it's a little, it's a little difficult for somebody like you and myself and, and people we hang around with business owners because we think uh, about things differently. In other words, we think, well, let's, let's figure out how we can make this better and so that we don't have to go through this again. And that's, a, that's about efficiency of, of processes. It's about where we store our money uh, so that we don't have to feel this lack of control. But the, the, the problem with that, Rachel, is that most Americans don't think entrepreneurially. They, it's, it's very interesting. They, they want control over their own lives, but they give up control to um, other people, whether it's a boss or whether it's a corporation they work for, or the big one now is our, our governments. Mm-hmm. And what, what's interesting is it's a mindset because think about this all the time. Um, people in a corporate position, uh, they say, well, my, my boss is doing this to me or my corporation is doing this to me. I don't deserve this. I deserve this. Well, you deserve whatever you're, you're actually taking. You know, so if you're taking it from a person, 
then in my opinion, you're, you deserve it. You, there's nobody's handcuffed you to a position, to uh, a job. And once again, that people that know me say, that sounds really harsh, Bruce. You don't have a heart. And I say to me, no, well, I actually do have a heart because what I'm trying to empower people to get out of that position, to go do and be in a position that they want to be in, that they are in control of instead of having someone else control them. In, that, in a lot of cases, it's, it's their boss and then it's the corporation. Um, and then ultimately, those corporations are now more and more being controlled by uh, a government. And this is what people, if they really st uh, stood back, step back, excuse me, they really step back and, and take it in and feel like what's going on is actually a control by the government because any, anybody that gives you something has control over it over you. I, want I think that's up. powerful, Bruce. I, well, I'm just going to make a really good point here. Think about this all the time. When you're given a gift, when you're given a gift, the bigger the gift, the more you feel obligated to thank the person or return a gift to that person the next opportunity you have to show that person the appreciation. Mm -hmm. You're giving a gift of a handout from a government, which is really just a redistribution of our taxes. Um, when you're giving that. And then, going further into debt, if you really want to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you are actually have this feeling inside that you're not in control because just like it, you, a lot of people won't even accept really nice gifts from people. Oh, I can't accept that because it's too nice. Well, it's not because they don't want the gift. They know now that in a, in a weird way, that person actually controls a part of them, even if they don't mean to control it, mm -hmm. uh, control them. And so that's what I'm saying about the government's unintended consequences too. Even if the government's not sitting in, you know, in some office in Washington, D.C. saying, oh, we're going to do this. This is a conspiracy theory theorist that say there's some dark state that's trying to control us. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that we don't realize the unintended consequences of a central government giving out things to us is actually the same thing as a really huge gift that your next door neighbor gives you and you feel like, oh, I'm not in control. I can't act the normal way against my neighbor now because they've actually given me something. Mm -hmm. And that is where people get the angst of lack of control. You know, I think a lot of this goes without us even realizing it. I mean, no, you, you started this whole thing about uh, talking that when we have an entrepreneurial mindset and we're thinking differently about how we can be in a position of control, I think often we give up control without even realizing it. I don't even think it's something that's normal for most people to think about. I'm in control or I'm not in control. But what we crave, I think, in the center of our being is this ability to say who we are know who we are and be able to have um, the, the means to do what we want to do. And when, when you really think about what that means, I mean, even a small child, my, my almost 11 month old baby, she knows that she wants to be able to move freely and do what she wants to do. She wants to grab something out of the container, my hairdryer and pull on it. It doesn't come when she wants to pull it. And so she cries about that. She gets angry. She almost looks like she's throwing a little fit. She's not even a year yet. But when I see that, I realize that we all have that in the core of our being. We want to be able to exercise our will on 
the the nature, the elements around us. And when it doesn't do what we want it to do, it's really frustrating because we don't have that control and that sense of autonomy. That was the word I was looking for, autonomy. And I think that the more we can think about how do I put myself in a position of being able to have that autonomy? How can I have the most sense of if I make this money and if I invest it the way that I want to, and if I put my financial system in order in my life, how can I use that to create true wealth, not to just receive wealth or just be the recipient of a gift as you're talking about, but how do I create wealth? And it's different when you're just given something versus when you own it and you develop your skill set and your knowledge and your abilities and you create yourself into that vehicle that's able to cause that to come to fruition. And really that's what we want for you. If you're listening, we want you to be able to create wealth in the midst of economic turmoil. And what does that actually mean? That means being able to exert your intention, your force, your decision, your will on something and cause it to happen, which means if I want to create wealth, then I'm going to figure out how to do that and be in a position of control. And and really this is the opposite of just waiting for a Band-Aid or a short-term fix or some shortcut handout right now that yes, there's the um, paycheck protection program. And yes, there's the EIDL. And yes, there's the unemployment. And yes, there's the checks, the stimulus checks coming from the government. And yes, there's a lot of these short-term pieces that can help us patch through a rough time. But that's not the same thing as being in control with a system that works where you know that when you make a decision in your financial life that you are causing what you want to happen. And the only way you can be in a position of that autonomy is to be able to have some sort of a bunker. And what do I mean by a bunker? So when I was in that tornado as a child, the only thing I wanted was to be safe. Now, we had the closest thing to a bunker, which is a basement, and you can go into the basement and you can be safe as much as possible from trees falling on the house or from the roof being ripped off a house. Thankfully, I've never been through that. But I have been through multiple tornadoes where we've looked outside of the little window in our bunker of the basement and seen the swing set, go, the swings going completely sideways. And the sky is like this black and purple and green color. I've been in a position where I was babysitting and I saw the trees swaying overhead and I said, this weather is not good. And I picked up the sleeping baby out of the crib upstairs, carried them down two flights of stairs to the bunker of the basement. And I was in a position where then I heard the tree crack overhead and it punctured the room right next to him as he would have been in that room sleeping. And just thinking through those things, the bunker or this place of safety is not only something that protects us from the storm, it's somewhere that we want to be able to have that autonomy and sense of control and be able to protect the people that we love. And so financially, what does that mean? It means being in a, a position and a place of having reserves, of having cash that you can access and get to and use, and having guarantees so that your money is not going to drop in value. So if you are at the mercy of the stock market rising and falling and you're putting your money into the, the, a mutual fund or you're in a, um, any position where you're connected to the stock market right now in your 401k, it might be in your IRA, it could be in um, any fund somewhere and you're watching your money go up and down and you're saying, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm in the back seat of this car. I'm not driving 
I'm not driving and I don't know if I can get out and everyone says, we'll just stay in for the long haul. Hopefully it's going to work itself out and hopefully you're going to have more money in the end and hopefully you'll still be able to retire on schedule. That's not a position of autonomy. That's not a position of safety and security. And there's just a lot of unknown and frustration and angst that can come with that. And the way to prevent that then is to be in a position where you are in the driver's seat. And I would say being in the driver's seat really has to do with having this bunker or this war chest, this warehouse of wealth, this pool of cash and capital and reserves that I can lean back on. And I can say, if I'm going through an emergency, I have cash to cover that. If I walk through a crisis, I have cash that can cover that. I walk through a position where now there's opportunities or investments that I want to make. I have cash that I can cover that. And so when we think about really what does a financial bunker mean, it means being in a position where I know there's guarantees, there's safety, I can get to that money and it's not going to drop in value. I have cash that I can cover these things. And I think the one reason why people don't want to go into that position of, well, I don't want to hide out in the bunker. I don't want to go in the cellar or the basement. I don't want to stay there and live there is because we think, well, how are we going to move forward? How are we still going to accomplish our financial goals? How are we going to achieve wealth? I mean, just keeping your money and protecting and preserving and holding on for dear life, that's not a position of creating wealth. However, when you do have that security and safety, it gives you then the peace of mind to be able to say, now what financial decisions can I make to advance and to move forward? What investments do I want to make to be able to move forward? And so that's why protection really is so important and so so much a precursor. It comes before investing, having that protection and safety. Yes. And we can go in so many directions here. Um, the other thing I would say is that you would want to, that bunker to, when, when it does grow in value, you would like it to grow in value the most efficient way. And that would be tax free mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we just, with this economic stimulus package, we just added $2.2 trillion to the balance sheet. And there's estimates that they're going to add another $2 trillion to the balance sheet. And what people don't realize is that through this process um, and through quantitative easing that is starting again, and quantitative easing is the injection of money into our banking system. So the, the Federal Reserve actually purchases assets like mortgage-backed securities or uh, treasuries from their uh, commercial banks that are stockholders in the Federal Reserve. So that puts more money into the system, which is, which is what is happening right now because the SBA um, is actually uh, giving out these loans right now. And then some people say, yeah, but they are they're backed by the government. Well, no, they're backed by taxpayers. And I can't emphasize that enough is when, when all this money is, governments have no money. Governments mm -hmm. only have the ability to tax. And I, what I think the moral question here is, is that not only are, are they doing it right now, um, without the taxpayers permission individually or collectively, but they're doing it without the permission of, of taxpayers that aren't even born yet. Because mm -hmm. those taxpayers, you know, uh, children that aren't even born, born yet are going to be inheriting this. So it's not only the, that they're not taking a vote on the tax. <laughs> and so everybody from uh, zero to uh, 17 can't vote. So even if they were voting on this, though, that population can't uh, have a say. But 
this is getting so large that it's going to be actually in the backs of unborn people right now. And how can that mm -hmm. be uh, sustained morally? Um, I just don't, I don't understand uh, this lack of knowledge by people. And then when we get back well, to- Well, I think, and I mean, again, I would just say, I don't think it's necessarily a chosen lack of knowledge. We just haven't been given maybe the questions to ask ourselves to consider where the money's coming from and the long-term impacts. I think sometimes it can be very easy to see the short-term impact that feels good and we let our brain stop there and we don't challenge it to think through the question that you're asking, Bruce. Where is this money coming from? And how is it going to impact not only me 20 years from now, but my kids and, and my kids' kids? Yeah, and, then, and that's, I mean, we can get into all kinds of things like the, the erosion of the family, um, you know, not talking about this over dinner in the evening, mm -hmm. uh, having regular conversations to ha have your children start thinking about this. And of course, then now those people have actually grown up to have children and they weren't actually, um, they weren't actually uh, taught how to do that at the dinner table. So now that, that process is actually of critical thinking has actually gone completely away. And critical thinking in the public school system has gone completely away because they're actually just uh, teaching to the test that they have to get approved. Um, for funding. And once again, that's a control that the government's holding over. If you don't do well on this particular test, we won't give you the funding. Um, so instead of teaching them a really good critical thinking skills, they actually teach, teach to the test so they can get the funding. So that's another lack of control that you have. I mean, I used to work mm -hmm. in the public school systems for the teacher's pension, and I hear that I heard this over and over and over. So Lack of control is there's all kinds of unintended consequences here, but we really need to get back to encourage people to to not be conspiracy theorists, but ask the question: Why are they doing this? What are going to? What's the consequences of of this happening in my life? And what is the consequences of me doing something just because that's the way everybody else has been doing it? Uh, it's, it's, I think it's, that's a powerful, a very powerful question. What are the consequences of me doing something just because everyone else does it that way? Or what's the consequence of me losing ground financially just because I assume that that just goes with the territory? Just everyone's losing money, so I just have to lose money too. I have, uh, I've had that uh, statement over my career. When the stock market goes down, Rachel, people say, well, I know I lost you know, whatever it is, 20%, 10, 15%, 30%, but I know everybody did. And my response is, all the time is, no, everybody hasn't. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, what do you mean everybody hasn't? I've, I've seen the stock market on television and it's gone down. Well, not everybody has all their wealth in the stock market. And yet that is what we've, we've been kind of programmed to believe that the only way that you can build wealth is to have your money in the stock market. And yet when you look at the, you look at the richest people in the world, none of them on the, well, I shouldn't say none. That's an absolute. Um, I haven't seen one had, that has built their, their wealth by putting their money into the stock market in a 401k or it's all been by uh, wealth creation of a business, mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial endeavor. And um, Bruce, you're absolutely right. And I want to keep the train of thought for where you're going with that because you said 
not thinking because everyone else is making the same decision. But I mean, I would say that I'm not following the stock market closely. I'm not watching the numbers closely. And the reason is that I've chosen to say, how can I be most productive during this time? And I sleep well at night knowing that I don't have money in the stock market. I'm not having to worry, is my portfolio dropping? And, and I don't say that because I think that I'm better than anybody else, but I feel that I have made a decision that is congruent and, in, in, and I'm in integrity. I'm in integrity in making this decision to say, I personally don't want that fluctuation and volatility in my financial life. Now, do I think that's the number one decision and the best decision for everyone else to make? You have to decide for yourself where you want your money to be. I don't think that everyone should do things exactly the way I do them, but I personally do not have money in the stock market. I personally do not have to watch the index and I don't have to watch my funds. I don't have to wonder and worry if I'm going to lose money because I sleep well at night knowing that my money is not connected to the stock market. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a very good point that you make. Um, we're not trying to um, be a central uh, a government kind of uh, situation where we say everybody has to do it a certain way. Mm-hmm. We're just saying that you really need to evaluate the way that, that you want to live your life. So yes. That you can make decisions. Because a lot of people um, actually know that they don't want to go in the direction they go, and that causes some stress. But they also don't have the confidence to stand up against the status quo. And well, it's hard. Yeah. You just expect and assume that everyone's doing something. So therefore I should do the same thing as everyone else. And I think it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of challenging decision-making for you to personally pull away from what everyone else is doing and say, I'm going to do things differently. And I can be honest that I didn't speak very publicly about that for a really long time. I mean, it's not something that I, you know, I was holding up as a flag and saying, here's the things that I'm doing because I want to make sure it worked first. But Mm -hmm. it does take a lot of, um, a lot of conscious effort to not do what everyone else is doing and instead make different decisions. But I would challenge you to make those different decisions. If it makes you happier, more confident, more in a position of control, and if it gives you that peace of mind that you're craving and looking for. Yes. And so uh, just a few other things about um, this. We espouse storing your money into specially designed whole life insurance contracts. And when you do that, um, which I have literally been on a team that has done 900 of these over the last, oh, since about 2007, I think was where our numbers started to track. Um, people have come up to me because they know I'm an investment advisor during this hard time. And they say, boy, I bet you're, you're in turmoil and all the, and all you're working all day and you're trying to assure people. And I'm like, no, actually it's, it hasn't been that bad because actually people are realizing some of the sound money things that we talk about having guarantees, having your money accessible, um, using alternative investments rather than just the stock market. Now we do have people that are in the stock market, but they're in the stock market in a comfortable position with a a certain percentage of their wealth that they're comfortable with, but they're really comfortable with that certain percentage because they have so much more money in their control. And Mm -hmm. we've often talked about uh, the um, specially designed life insurance contracts as being an and asset asset. And I've had clients reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I think this stock is really taking a hit, a hit and it's, it's rock bottom. Can you get me $10,000 so 
so I can go buy that asset. So once again, that's an and asset. So they're going to have the uninterrupted compound growth within their policy, and they're going to go out and buy this stock that they feel good about. Uh, personally, or go out and buy a, a rental property or a commercial property or some other asset that they know and control. And again, you said feel good about, and that's the important thing. Correct. I, I was just trying to relate that to um, an asset that would be um, on sale right now. Right, Still right now, real estate has not taken a hit. Uh, I'm not saying it's not going to, but, uh, but most people are looking at um, pulling money out of their um, uh, loan against their policy to buy more um, stock. And if people know about investments, that's not unlike a margin account with a with an investment uh, firm. Um, it's very similar, except you get on with the uh, life insurance, you get un uninterrupted compound growth. The other thing that I've had is I've had many of my business owner clients who have actually accessed their cash value through a loan to actually help keep employees on, um, to actually help with inventory at this time, to actually help with um, accounts payable at this time. And they are very, very thankful that they have this money available. And it, it's, it's not unlike human nature. People say, well, I could do the same thing in a bank or I could do the same thing in my, in my mattress. What we've talked about on this show and many a times, financial institutions and life, and life insurance companies are no different. They want to get your money systematically. They want to hold it for as long a period of time as possible. They want to trickle back as the least amount of uh, money to you, and they want to do that over as long a period of time as possible. All financial institutions want to do that. Why? Because it benefits them. Right. Okay. Now, then you have to decide whether the benefits of what they're offering to you benefits you too, because it has to be a win-win situation or they wouldn't be in business. So... Um, one of the nice things about specially designed life insurance is that you can make a systematic deposit to your privatized bank coming out of your checking account every month. And that actually systematizes your savings where if you, I have mm -hmm. a lot of people say to me, well, yeah, I just transfer $500 from my checking account to my savings every month. And I say, well, if that's happening, why do you only have $2,000 in your savings account right now? And, and I just have to point the, out this to people. Mm -hmm. and they say, well, you know, then I transferred back because I, I want to go buy this. Or I transferred back because I want to go buy this. And it's just human nature. Nelson Nash talked about this all the time when he was alive. It's called the arrival syndrome. You think you have arrived at uh, the answer. So you're like, okay, I don't have to have any good habits anymore. I can just take this money and go do something else. With it. Mm -hmm. So um, having that systematic way to save money is a uh, an actually a benefit for our clients right now that have money to actually use in a, an opportunity or in, in an emergency fund that uh, we talk about all the time. Yeah, Bruce, I really love that you were talking about systematic savings because I think that's the number one thing that is what you can control. Putting money systematically into a position of savings then gives you that bunker, gives you that that pool of cash to be able to draw from. And Bruce, as you said, the number one tool that we've seen the most advantages 
for that savings asset is high cash value life insurance. And so this is a whole life insurance product. It's with a mutual company. It pays dividends. And the most important thing is that it gives you safety, that it's not going to drop in value. It's not correlated with the stock market at all. Your cash value that you have does not lose value. It doesn't deplete unless you draw against it or take money out. It does not fluctuate in value. And then you have access because you can take a loan against that policy. You can even take a withdrawal and you have access to that cash value. And then you are also growing that money with compound interest and it continues growing even when you borrow against it. So that's why it's an and asset. It still continues to grow even when you use that money in another asset, maybe another investment or you use it for an emergency over here, you're still growing your money. All of your cash value is still continuing to grow here. And so that allows you to then have uninterrupted compound growth, which then moves you forward even during times of hardship. So this is just the number one tool that we've seen to be able to create that bunker or that war chest, this this safe harbor, if you will, this place where you can keep your cash and keep it growing for you. And you're not just hanging on for dear life and not moving backwards. You're still able to advance your wealth and move forward and continue to create cash flow and build assets and wealth as well, even during hardship. So it's absolutely possible to be able to have the best of both worlds. It just requires a change of the way that we think about money and first starting by valuing ourselves and putting ourselves in that position of control. So today, if you are wanting to get a financial bunker to weather this economic crisis or ones that might come in the future, or you just have questions about what we've talked about today, I would encourage you to go to privatizedbankingsecrets.com. We have a free resource and a guide for helping you understand what privatized banking is all about. We also have the Privatized Banking Secrets course that's available at that same website. And then we also have the ability to talk with our advisors and be in a position where you can figure out exactly what you need to do to be able to move into this position of control. Bruce, I'm hearing a little bit of feedback. I hope that I'm not cutting out too bad here and that everyone can still hear. But what would you like to share in closing as we wrap up today? Yeah. I, well, first of all, on my end, you were crystal clear. So oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I think um, um, there's a lot of things at this time period that can be overwhelming for, pe for people. Mm -hmm. So I do th think it's an opportunity, to, though, to say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to just focus on the negative. I'm actually going to focus on um, both, both uh, aspects of the spectrum, the good parts and the bad parts, and then start to question, start to question why things happen not only in your life, but what, how are things happening in the, the general economy um, in, um, that affect not only you, but your neighbor and the uh, country and the global economy altogether. Because the more you understand that from both ends of the spectrum, the more that you will feel that you are in control of your decision-making process. And that's what where stress always comes out is that you you feel like you're not in control of decision making. And I, I think that would be the thing that I'd like to leave the listeners with today. I love that you shared that. And just one other thought comes to mind. The Socratic method is something my daughter's school with Acton Academy is really focused on developing in children. And what's interesting is I find that as adults, we like to slip into old habits of just asking a question and wanting the answer to come from somewhere outside of ourselves. 
And the Socratic method challenges that thinking and instead causes us to, to ask better questions. And I think that in life, if we want to really find solutions, it starts with asking those better questions, Bruce, as you were saying, and not just trusting what is being said around us, but really asking questions of ourselves and figuring out what we actually think, not just trusting someone else to tell us what to think. So we'll leave you with that today. Check out privatizedbankingsecrets.com for those resources. You can also go to themoneyadvantage.com for show notes on this particular episode today for any links that we've shared. And we would love your feedback and review on our show with Apple Podcasts, what used to be known as iTunes. So thank you for that. And Bruce, in closing, we'll say, remember, success leaves clues. Model the successful few, not the crowd. And build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.